0: I am now offering professional development for pre-K through 8th grade educators, both in-person and virtually. For more information about pricing and scheduling, go to learnwithdreemily.com slash schools to get started. Welcome to Learn with Dr. Emily, the podcast where parents and teachers come together for neurodivergent youth. I'm your host, Dr. Emily King, child psychologist and former school psychologist, and I am on a mission to help everyone understand that nurturing neurodivergent children isn't about changing them, but about changing us. Each week, I share my thoughts on topics related to child development, mental health, parenting, education, and parent-teacher collaboration. You can read more on my Substack at learnwithdremily.substack.com, or listen here. So let's get started with today's topic. In this week's podcast, we're going to be talking about helping your neurodivergent child become more independent. If you are raising a child diagnosed with autism, ADHD, or anxiety, the uncertainty of their future can feel very anxiety-provoking. You might think about, are they going to be able to drive one day? Will they be able to live on their own? How can we figure out what makes them happy and, and will they be happy? But one gift of parenting a child developing on their own path and timetable is that you learn quickly to let go of any of these plans you have rolling around in your mind and just really focus on the next school year's span of time. You learn to remain present in solving the problems and celebrating the wins of today. You appreciate even a small milestone because you've watched your child struggle And struggle to do things that other kids beside them seem to be doing so easily. So you notice their relief and the pride on their face when they're finally able to do it by themselves. The flip side of this experience, of course, is not knowing if or when your child will become independent with a variety of different skills. Honestly, no parent knows for sure what the future holds for their child. But when your child struggles developmentally, making predictions for tomorrow based on your child's skills for today is really hard to do. What we can do is financially plan for the future and just focus on nurturing today's skills. And you want to also model this and teach this for your child too. Focus putting your energy on what they're working on today so that you can help minimize their anxiety about tomorrow. So in today's podcast, I'm going to be sharing tips on how to motivate neurodivergent kids, those who might have a short attention span or a narrow but deep interest, who aren't really that motivated of what other people think of them. So I've worked with neurodivergent kids for over 20 years, and so many of them have explained many of these topics from their perspective and I'm hoping to just lift up their stories so that you can learn from their perspective what this is like for them. So let's start with what we're all more familiar with, how we encourage neurotypical kids to become more independent. This is how our schools are designed. This is how traditional parenting is designed, and we need to rethink this for several reasons. So for our purposes here, I am defining neurotypical as those kids who do not have a diagnosis of autism, ADHD, or anxiety. And I'm assuming these children have the ability to manage their time in a developmentally appropriate way, have the motor skills to get dressed by themselves, have sensory integration abilities to do daily routines like wash their hair and brush their teeth, ask for help without feeling overwhelming anxiety, and are socially motivated to develop these skills because they want to fit in with their peer group. They're learning by observing what other kids are doing in the classroom or in their family or in their neighborhood, and they wanna fit in. That's socially being motivated to learn new skills. So when we were growing up, we were expected to do these things at certain ages, not based on our skill level, but how old we are or what grade we were in. Most of us were expected to be able to tie our shoes by kindergarten ride a bicycle without training wheels around first grade, and keep up with all of our belongings by second grade. We were learning to be a student, learning to be independent. While there is absolutely a need for these cultural expectations of independent milestones for children, remaining flexible about when children achieve milestones reduces stress for everyone. So if we expect everyone to do everything on the same time frame the same way we're going to stress out kids who are developing on their own time frame yet if we just kind of sit back and wait around for everybody to do their thing we may not scaffold support enough and we may also slip into enabling kids too much where adults will be overly exhausted So I'm proposing here somewhere in the middle and following your own child's path for when it seems like they're ready to go a little bit more into that teaching a new skill, practicing a new skill, doing something on their own. Because independence is important for children to develop a sense of power and agency that lowers their anxiety and creates confidence in solving problems and feeling capable in this world. We all want our children to be independent, but the path is not the same for many parents raising neurodivergent children. So why do neurotypical expectations not work for neurodivergent kids? Neurodivergence isn't less than neurotypical. It's just like a different operating system. We wouldn't expect to run something on a Mac that was built for Windows and vice versa. So many children diagnosed with autism have a deep interest and are less interested in what everyone thinks of them and more interested in what others thinks about their interests. It's just a different operating system. They're often not socially motivated to maybe be on time or to look or smell nice or have their schoolwork in order. It's just not as important to many of them. So an adult telling them they need to do something because it's expected or it's important to the adult does not make an impact. It's not important to the kid. So they're not as socially motivated. Many children with an ADHD diagnosis are not motivated by grades because there's delayed gratification in grades. It's hard to feel the finish line when your attention span is just for the right now. The finish line is too far away if they can even sense it at all. So we have to break things into smaller chunks for kids with shorter attention spans. When raising a child with anxiety, you may have noticed that encouraging independence actually increases their stress because it's safe at home with help from all these people at home that I trust most. The world is full of mistakes to be made. So if you want to go back and listen to my podcast on mistakes, this would be a good spot if you are parenting a child with lots of anxiety about trying to push themselves outside of a comfort zone of doing things the same way, or if they're perfectionistic about things, or if they must have it done right, they may be fearful of mistakes, and they won't stretch and learn new skills until we help them conquer that fear. So here are some tips for motivating your neurodivergent child. As I said, over the years working with neurodivergent kids and families – I've talked with so many kids and teens who have explained their perspective on adults trying to get them independent. And I've noticed some patterns emerge when working on building independence with some common roadblocks related to growing up as an autistic kid or teen with ADHD or anxiety, learning differences, twice exceptionality, anything that your child might be struggling with, we have to jump into their shoes and do the perspective taking from their perspective and help them express what's hard, what's getting in their way, and notice what is working. So we can try to do more of that and generalize what is working to other areas. So here are my top five roadblocks I've noticed and some quick tips for you. Number one is hygiene. So hygiene involves a lot of sensory processing. So we have to make hygiene tasks positive We have to make it a positive sensory experience. So many children and teens on the autism spectrum have told me that they're not socially motivated to look nice or smell nice for other people. It's just not that important to many of them. Many also hate the sensory demands of anything involving brushing or washing. So try this. Think about what does feel good to your child or your teen. Is having clean hair less painful due to fewer tangles? Is there an outcome about hygiene that actually is better that you can help your child understand? Does being clean make their skin feel less itchy? Does wearing clean clothes feel less itchy? Or does wearing something two or three times feel more comfortable? And then you have to come up with a plan for trading those things out so you can wash laundry. Many kids I work with have favorite things, favorite shorts, favorite shirts, favorite socks, and we sometimes just have to switch those things out and their routine, maybe have two pairs of them because they do need to learn that things need to be cleaned and washed, but it's very possible that they feel from a sensory perspective that clean shorts are different from shorts that are broken in think about shoes and jeans and hats are usually what, you know, a neurotypical sensory integration feeling. We can feel the difference between jeans that have been out of the dryer or that we wore yesterday. It feels different. And so I think about that example is just, it's more intense with kids who have sensory processing sensitivities that highly affect how well they um, can learn their hygiene practices as they get older. I want to say hi to all the teachers out there learning with me. Thank you so much for being an educator. I see you and appreciate you and how you keep showing up for our students every single day. In my work as a school psychologist, I know that it helps to have a way to stay organized when thinking about your students' needs. That's why I created two free resources for you. The Regulation Roster helps you notice how your students seek emotional regulation and keep track of it, and the Reframing Behavior Worksheet helps you problem solve emotional dysregulation when it happens. For these free downloads, go to LearnWithDrEmily.com slash roster or LearnWithDrEmily.com slash reframing behavior to get started. So many times there is a sensory benefit to being clean or you can help your child just make a connection between hydrating and their body feeling better and not looking better because looking better isn't motivating to them. But usually feeling better does have some sort of benefit. Okay, number two is daily routines. We always want to prioritize independence before flexibility. So let me explain what I mean. So morning and bedtime routines are how we make our homes run smoothly when children are young as they get older, especially if you are raising kids that lose things or it's hard to get them out the door or you have meltdowns if something goes awry in the routine. It can be hard to mess with this if you feel like you have gotten your family into a rhythm of getting out the door on time, finally getting everyone to sleep in their own bed It can feel really daunting to think about leveling up in this routine of getting your child to be more independent within it. But some parents tend to fall into a pattern of doing too many things for their kids. Usually this starts to happen around middle elementary, late elementary school, where we get into a rhythm as families, and sometimes we miss that actually our kids are capable of more, and we need to start preparing them for those tween years. So even after our child can do things on their own, sometimes we keep doing things for them because it's easier, it's faster, and we avoid emotional upset in the family. So just be mindful of this. Think through your routines, not changing everything all at once, but think about is there something that you do feel like you could push your child a little bit on that they could be incorporated more into the morning or nighttime routine and doing something without your support. We have to move on from that place of doing things for our kids and put challenges on them because that is going to press them into the next step of doing things on their own. And contributing to the family and household makes kids feel more confident over time. They're resistant at first, of course, because it feels hard and it's a change in the routine. If we can help them understand that everyone is contributing to the family and the household, they will feel more confident over time. So try this, always prioritize their independence over flexibility. So I know that you would like for your child to wear a variety of clothing and eat a variety of foods, but many neurodivergent kids are able to become independent with their skills before they are able to become flexible with their skills. So for example, if your child wears a certain kind of socks, don't wait until they can tolerate a variety of socks. Just teach them how to put on those socks by themselves. If your child only eats yogurt and fruit for breakfast, don't worry about adding more things yet. Teach them how to get that yogurt out, put it on a plate, fix their fruit, and do it on their own when you think they're ready to do it on their own. I'll give an example of a teenage example of um, a child who will only eat scrambled eggs for breakfast. That's a lot of great protein. That's fantastic. So how can we work on that child becoming more independent? Well, as getting into the teen years, we probably need more protein. And maybe they're going to be two eggs. And maybe we teach that child to scramble their own eggs when they're ready to use the stove it doesn't matter that that child's eating eggs every day. What does matter is that they're building independence and that one day they probably will eat something in addition to their scrambled eggs. So if your child won't take out the trash, for instance, because it's too smelly, then just give them a non-smelly job to begin. So think about independence first. What is your child pushing back on in terms of variety or flexibility or sensory overwhelm? And cater to what works for them, but the challenge is in supporting their independence, not supporting their ability to do a smelly job if that's overwhelming to them. Okay, number three, time management. You've heard me say many times before to make it visual, and this is what we do with time management. So many children diagnosed with autism and ADHD struggle with time management because it's a core skill within our executive functioning abilities. Now I want everyone to remember that our frontal lobe in our brain where our executive functioning is located does not fully develop until our mid 20s. So neurotypical human brains are not fully online with their executive functioning abilities until then and many of our neurodivergent kids with autism and ADHD are behind the curve in that development. So you may notice that those skills are a little bit behind where other skills, especially if it's an academic skill or an interest that they love, um, is advanced for their age. So just remember that this is a skill that we are not expecting um, even neurotypical high schoolers to do. So we need lots of support for all of our teenagers and tweens, but especially those with ADHD or who are on the autism spectrum. So many adults with ADHD um, have explained to me and will tell me that they continue to use lots of visual supports through apps, calendar systems, alarms that keep them on track. So be sure to try this. So don't wait until your child gains more time management skills to teach them how to be independent with a system. Find a system that works for their brain. Does it need to be visual? Are they into calendars? Are they into dates? Well, then use that. Are they into whatever they're into? Incorporate their interests and teach them how to do it independently. For younger children, you can create a daily or weekly routine or list on whiteboards posted in prominent places in your home. If you just keep referring your child back to the schedule or list every time they ask, What are we doing today? What time are we going here? They will eventually stop asking you, and they will just solve their own problem because they will go look at it right away. And the other thing you can do is ask their teacher what's happening in the classroom. Teachers are incredibly structured. They have to be because they're managing a classroom full of children. They would not have time to answer all the questions about the daily schedule. So they have systems in place. So ask your teacher what your child is capable of doing independently so that you can recreate a successful system from school into your home. Number four, keeping track of schoolwork. We have to teach our kids how to make a work plan. So kids who are not on the autism spectrum and do not have ADHD usually figure this out by following just what the teacher says and having some sort of system or plan. But as we think about time management within the context of school and schoolwork, Once our neurodivergent kids reach about fifth grade, teachers will start talking about how to keep up with multiple classes, multiple notebooks, multiple subjects. And in preparation for middle school, we will start talking about the independence of that. Now, every single sixth grade student I have ever worked with struggles with this. An added pain point for many parents right now is the hybrid online and paper system that many schools are using. I could probably do an entire podcast just talking about the variability in all the systems that we're using right now for kids and how it's confusing for parents of middle schoolers. So for now, try this. Think about how many of your neurodivergent middle schoolers out there come home with a blank agenda. Now, an agenda where I'm located is a paper calendar that the school provides at the beginning of the school year for every student. You're supposed to write your homework down in it, and then you're supposed to come home, and you see that your homework is written down, and then you do your homework. (laughs) So when we were in school, if your homework wasn't written down in the agenda from the board in class, we wouldn't know what to do. So we were motivated to write it down so we knew later what to do. Now students can check their assignments online. So many, many middle schoolers tell me, what's the agenda for? What's the purpose? I don't get it. I can just check it online when I get home. For neurodivergent tweens who may be able to understand all the content taught in class, but have the executive functioning skills, potentially of a younger child, I find it's helpful to literally teach them a system that works for their brain. And this is how I incorporate the paper agenda and the online scheduling that many teachers are using for tasks to complete and for homework assignments. So sit down with your child after school and look up all the assignments online and talk through how many days it will take to do each one and then use the agenda or any calendar planner that you have to map out when they're going to actually do the work. So this way, you're using both. You're using the online assignment list that teachers are giving And it has a purpose. And then you're using the paper agenda or calendar to map it out. And that has a purpose. And then your child has a work system. Now, many parents have to do this lots at the beginning of middle school, at the beginning of kind of fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade. The goal is to get your child more independent with this skill by the end of middle school. And many kids are independent with this, many neurotypical children are independent with this by the end of elementary school. And for kids that I work with, kids um, on the autism spectrum who are in mainstream classes and able to do um, general education curriculum that have these executive functioning weaknesses, they need a whole several years of practice of this work system for themselves. Okay, number five, self-advocacy teaching kids when, who, and how to ask for help. So none of us is solely independent. We rely on all kinds of professionals to help us out along the way. I can't service my own car or fix my kid's broken arm. I also know that I'm not the person who should be helping my kids with high school math. So we have to learn at some point, what are the limits to our own skills, even as adults? What are the limits to our skills as we're growing up? And what are the limits to our independence of those skills? Maybe we can do something in a group that we can't do by ourselves, or vice versa. So what are the limits to these things? And when, who, and how do we ask for help? Asking for help is a skill we have to teach. So try this. For neurodivergent kids with social communication weaknesses or social anxiety, like they know what to say, but they're worried about saying it. They're worried about being judged or being embarrassed, but they know what to say. Social communication weaknesses are more about not knowing what to say or missing out on the opportunity to say it. We have to think about outings in our community as practice for these. So for example, if you were to go to the same restaurant over and over again, you could help your child become familiar with it so that they don't have to filter everything through a sensory processing, emotional feeling every time they go to a new place. They know the layout of the restaurant. They know the sounds. They know the lighting. They know all these things already. So all that they are working on when you go to a restaurant, if they're familiar with the setting then is ordering, asking for extra napkins, asking for a refill on a drink. That's all they're working on. And that can really help them practice self-advocacy. So again, we want to focus on their independence more than variety here. I would rather a teen know how to order, pay, and ask for a refill at a restaurant than not be able to do any of those things at a bunch of different restaurants. So I'll leave you with this thought today. The goal is not for your child to do things in a neurotypical way. The goal is for your child to do things independently and the way that they feel successful and then feel proud of themselves. This has been Learn with Dr. Emily, the podcast. For more resources, including both parent, teacher, and school resources, visit learnwithdrimily.com or read my substack at learnwithdrimily.substack.com. Also, we are publishing this podcast weekly, so make sure you're subscribed by pressing the plus, follow, or subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're using right now. This podcast is edited by EarFluence. All information discussed on this podcast is for educational purposes only. If you have immediate concerns about your child, please reach out to a mental health or medical professional. I'm Dr. Emily King, and we will keep learning together next week.